Starting off, we have an update on the Daily Wire's fight with Twitter. As always, the Daily Wire won. Also, we have Massachusetts's House getting flipped from Republican to Democrat because they recounted the election and found one vote that shows Democrats won. I say this is concerning because I know for a fact that people in my family wouldn't vote in this election, and that would have made a difference. Meanwhile, in Arizona, we have the Supreme Court giving Carrie Lake an opportunity to prove her election claims. Hopefully, she shows the evidence she is, has been saying that she has. And last but not least, we have text between the biggest teachers union in America and the CDC to keep schools closed during the quote-unquote COVID pandemic. All I can say is, I told you so. All of that and more in today's episode. Facts over facts over tracks is a mess, spitting slow, spitting fast. I could roast, I could gas, think I'm okay at last, but I don't know if that can erase all the past. Firstly, let's talk about how every single person in the United States has the power to cast a vote. Every single woman and guy has the right to make their opinion heard. But there's an opinion that is plaguing our society, and that claim is that our voice doesn't matter, or that it won't change anything. But that couldn't be farther from the truth especially when it comes to this case in Massachusetts. The Democrats won by one vote, which proves my claim that more people should get in on the awesome privilege that we have as a citizen and start making their voice heard. That's also why we should have a free and open dialogue on social media to debate our ideas and to try to shape some opinions. We should also help out people that have a demented view on society and prove them wrong with facts and logic. You know, like the sky is blue or a girl cannot be a boy. These are obvious claims that just five seconds ago, everyone on earth agreed to, but all of a sudden we don't. This proves that we need to talk about the facts online without being restricted and we need to make sure that everyone votes that didn't commit a crime so they can see the impact that their vote has on the society they live in. Like for example, if a city votes to make all drugs legal and five years later sees needles on the street and homeless population rising to astronomical levels, they can see what they did wrong so they can prove on it and they can alter their worldview. But this can only happen if we hold them accountable, not only online, but in real life. People need to see how their vote can drastically change the place that they live in for better or worse. And we need to be sure that we are able to point it out on social media without being censored. That's exactly why we need to have as many people vote as possible. Of course, there's going to be the push from the media for people to vote for what their narrative is. But once people get on social media in this uncensored world, they would be able to see through the media's BS and see the real world how it is and that it could really change for the better if we start prioritizing the important things like cutting down on the national debt or completely getting rid of Social Security and Medicare. These things take time to start rolling out, but it's worth looking into cutting the debt down and the budget by 60 to 70%, especially when we have record high debt and interest rates at unprecedented levels. If America was a person, it would claim bankruptcy five times over and still have debt to pay. If we were to cut Social Security and Medicare out of the picture, we would start paying down the national debt at the same exact time as this, we would be able to save money on our personal taxes. Indeed, if the United States is not responsible for the majority of what makes up our, our budget for the year, then the people would benefit by paying less taxes. That's drastically different than the world that we are living in now, where the United States taxes us just for living. If you want a job, you have to pay taxes. If you want a home, you have to pay taxes. If you own land, you have to pay taxes. If you somehow avoid paying the government money one year and instead get a refund, the government taxes you on that said refund. If you go to the store, you have to pay taxes. 
This is why we should tax the people less. But this euphoria of a world only exists if we cut down in the national debt and also cut down in the national spending that we commit every single year. With that being said, we need to make sure that everyone's voices are heard and the truth exists on social media. That's why it was so important for Elon Musk to unlock the ability of the Daily Wire to actually post the truth and actually post what has been said for years now. But all of a sudden we got off the rails and we didn't even know what a woman was. That's why it was very important for Elon Musk to allow the Daily Wire to post what is a woman on Twitter. Without further ado, let's dig into the headlines of the week. Digging right in, we actually have a Daily Wire article. We have Chuck Todd to leave Meet the Press, new host revealed. Chuck Todd, the host of NBC's Meet the Press for the last nine years, announced on the show Sunday that he would step down from the role in the coming months. Todd said that it's important for the people not to overstay their welcome and touted his accomplishments for building the show into a distinct and important political franchise. Yes, but Chuck. Nobody cared about you and nobody actually watched your show. The reason why you're leaving is because of the fact that nobody watched your show. And MSNBC and NBC has no viewers because they know that it's pure propaganda that is being shoved down their face hole. It's, quote, it's been an amazing nearly decade long run and I'm really proud of what our team has built over the last decade, Todd said. When I come over to meet the press, it was on a Sunday show that had a lot of people questioning whether it would still be a place in the modern media space. Well, I think we've answered that question and then some. Todd said that the one of the reasons he is leaving the show is that he his work doesn't consume him before it's too late, adding that he hasn't seen it happen to those around him. Oh, adding that he's seen it happen to those around him. In his remarks, he's announced his successor as Christian Walker, NBC's chief White House correspondent, who Todd said was a good choice and is ready to take over. Conservatives have been often been critical of Todd's objectability, especially during the Trump administration. For example, after Meet the Press broadcast an inaccurately edited clip of the Trump official in 2020, President Donald Trump demanded Todd's termination after the network apologized. Though stepping down as the host and moderator of Meet the Press, Todd will remain as at NBC as chief political analyst and focus on long-form journalism, according to the network. He said that he will definitely, he would officially hand the show over to Welker in September. Though his pen pen penetrating interviews with many of the important newsmakers, the show has played an essential role in politics and, pol and policy, routinely made front page news and frame the thinking in Washington and beyond. NBC's news president of editorial Rebecca Blunston and senior vice president of politics Carrie Bundseth said in a memo, Todd became the show's host in 2014 after serving as NBC's chief White House correspondent and host of the Daily Rundown. He took over the host position from David Gregory. Meet the Press is the longest running show on television, NBC notes. I've, I leave feeling concerned about the moment in history, Todd said, but reassured by the standards we've set here. We don't tolerate propagandists, and this network or and program will never and never will. Being a real political journalist isn't about building a brand. It's about reporting what's happening and explaining why it's happening and letting the public absorb the facts. Chuck. You don't even say the facts on your network. What are you talking about? NBC doesn't even say the facts. MSNBC doesn't say the facts. CNN does not say the facts. None of these networks, USA Today does not say the facts. All these networks, you think that you're saying the facts, but you're not saying the facts. You're neglecting the facts and you're selectively choosing what to say and what not to say in, in your quote unquote facts and saying that you're nonpartisan. You're not nonpartisan. You can say that you're to one side, but when you say that you're nonpartisan and then pick 
facts that prove with your opinion, but then saying that you're nonpartisan is completely inaccurate and lying to your audience. Chuck Todd has been a mentor and friend since my first day at NBC News, Volker said, tweeted on Sunday. I've learned so much from sitting with him as at the anchor desk and simply experimenting, experiencing his passion for politics. I've hum I'm humbled and grateful to take the baton and continue to build on the legacy of Meet the Press. Okay, so hopefully the show continues because all of these other shows on the major networks are coming and crashing down, burning to the ground. So hopefully this show does not burn to the ground because we all know that Donald lemon show was burned to the ground and then his morning spot was burned to the ground so hopefully it doesn't end up like that but i know that something will happen to this story right here tech according to the daily wire tech showed teachers union working with the cdc director to keep schools closed so newly obtained text messages show the heads of both major teachers unions personally texting then cdc director Roche rochelle Walensky, as the agency was putting together a scientific analysis of re reopening schools during the coronavirus, with the CDC making a key change that allowed schools to stay closed and appease the unions. On February 11, 2021, American Federation of Teachers President Randy Weingarten texted Walensky saying that she had heard a leak from the New York Times about what was the CDC's upcoming guidance and expressed concern that it was, quote, at odds with their decision. Quote, they're running with a full speed ahead angle for reopening schools, Weingarten wrote. She said the Times sent her a copy of the internal draft guidance. She said, at any level of community transmission, all schools can provide an in-person instruction instruction. Mm, uh, Walensky wrote to the union Honchko. The next day, Walensky, Walensky's agency released guidance that was different. It said all schools have options to provide in-person instruction that allowed school districts to stay closed while still saying that they were following CDC guidelines. Middle and high schools in virtual only instructions unless they can strictly implant impl all mitigation strategies and have few cases, it added. Weingarten's union then put out a statement praising the guidance and texted to the document directly, texted do document do directly to Walensky with the message, thank you. Walensky responded glowingly saying, this gave me the biggest smile of my week. Thank you, friend. So they're in bed with each other. Weingarten is standing up for the teachers and the teachers don't want to work. Weingarten is saying thank you to Walensky and Walensky's releasing exactly what Weingarten wants her to do. So they're in bed with each other. They're like, they're talking to each other and they're saying, oh wait, you don't want to work? I don't want to work boom let's come together and i don't have to have any of the people that you represent work and you know what who cares about the students who cares about their learning who cares about all of their schooling and all of their grades plummeting to the floor resulting in only one person graduating in some schools in the united states who cares what who cares about that oh my god one person is graduating so they have to cancel a graduation in a state in the united states oh oh my god it doesn't even matter because you know i get the year off i get the year off and i get to stay home swipe through tiktok order on amazon order on uber eats and doordash i get to sit on my fat couch and i get to just relax and watch netflix all day long and you know who cares about the schooling you know assign the ran most random thing on google classroom and just be done with the day and automatically have google classroom grade the assignments for me this is the best year of my life that's what all the teachers are saying but of course weingarten is agreeing with the teachers because weingarten doesn't want to go out and actually work for a living she wants to just say here and say oh i stand up for you the teachers so i'm gonna make sure that you don't work what the teachers became a teacher to teach 
They didn't become a teacher to just stay home. Some teachers want to do that. Other teachers want to actually do what they signed up for and got into debt for. They don't want to just sit on their couch and watch Netflix all day ordering Uber Eats and DoorDash. Like, no, that's not what people want to do. Walensky said, me too, totally fair. The text messages were obtained through a Freedom of Information Act request from the Fairfax Parents Association, a group of parents who fought to end extended school closures in a Democrat-controlled Virginia district. The messages also show the president of the other major teachers union, the National Education Association, Becky Pringle, texting directly with the head of the agency and appearing to invoke diversity as an argument to keep schools closed. Quote, just got off the phone with you folks. I appreciate them making themselves available, but I'm very concerned about the timing and our availability to get the information I've talked with you. Three evidence gathered in more diverse settings, she wrote. The influence of a major Democrat consistency on science guidance raises concerns because Americans were told to, quote, trust the science. As it has become undeniable that school closures did more harm than good. Teachers unions have since tried to rewrite history and claim they were in favor of reopening schools, even though a long trail of documents show that they were constantly they constantly fought to quote reopen schools safely, with their focus being in on ensuring that the definition of quote safety would mean a very high barrier to opening. Weingarten testified de definitely to Congress in April and blasted Republicans while saying that the Biden administration reached out to our union for its input and that the union suggested ideas to the science agencies. Quote, I mean, it doesn't even make any sense, first of all, because we know for a fact that you were sitting here screaming at the Republicans for opening schools up. Now you're saying the Republicans were trying to close schools. It doesn't, like, what are you doing? What are you doing? You're embarrassing yourself. A Daily Wire anal analyst found that the states were engaged in prolonged school closures didn't have fewer children die with COVID, than those who, that kept schools open. Yes, exactly, because there was absolutely no difference between this two because the science didn't actually back up itself. The science that we're supposed to just trust full-heartedly did not even make sense whatsoever because of the fact that the science that they were spewing out of their face hole was complete BS. And we already knew this since the beginning. Now, without further ado, let's dig into the media's takes. I don't ever smoke up. No, I don't take no Moving into the first article, we actually have a CNN article. We have debt deal avoids the really tough decisions. Now, of course, we knew that the debt deal isn't going to be the best thing for Republicans and the best thing for Democrats because of the fact that we need both the House, the Senate, or three, the House, the Senate, and the presidency to actually get a law through. But because of the fact that we only have the Senate right now, or one of the three, we cannot put a lot through because it's just going to get vetoed and the social security and medicare which comes to 60 to 70 percent of the yearly budget for the united states the most massive amount of the budget cannot be undone because of the fact that joe biden is not going to allow that and we can't even get it through the senate because there's not going to be enough republicans to actually sign the deal and there wasn't going to be enough democrats anyway to actually agree with our ideology with, with that being said, let's dig into the article. The United States government took one step back from its self-inflicted economic disaster on Tuesday. House Republicans avoided the first attempt at assault by hardcore conservatives. Now, first of all, that's completely untrue. The conservatives only wanted our debt to not be so high and our spending to be cut to 2020 levels. 
But since you don't want to do 2020 levels, let's just do 2021 levels, which is only two years prior. Or, you know, better yet, I think what's actually in the bill is 2022 levels. So what are you talking about? It's hardcore, con hardline conservatives. What is that? What the uh, attempt? There was no attempt by the hardline conservatives to, to make the X date come any faster in the United States. What we needed to do was actually come to an agreement that Joe Biden is the one that did not want to negotiate with the re House Republicans at all. Um, who are appealed at the bipartisan plan to suspend the debt ceiling until the next presidential election. Many of the hardliners aren't buying into the marriage that the deal to cut some of the spending for two years and to seek control of it after that will be a meaningful effect on the size and scope of the federal deficit. Accomplishing the larger goal that would require meddling with the scared crows of the American government spending from the Pentagon, Social Security, and Medicare, which aren't even part of the debt ceiling conversation. Joe Biden and the House Speaker Kevin McCarthy has portrayed the debt ceiling bill as one of the best possible compromises achievable in the limited time before the Treasury Department is unable to meet its obligations, which would, con which would be soon, as soon as June 5th. And that could be, but it's not coming without objections from the political left or right. Bill passes first test, but House math is a moving target. A key conservative, Rep. Thomas Massey of Kentucky, broke into two hardliners on the rules of the rules committee to vote, aligned Republicans to pass the bill through the committee, even if he ultimately opposes the deal. Massey argued the full House should have the opportunity to weigh in. The debt is a, motiv a motivating issue for Massey. He frequently wears a homemade real-time digital debt clock on his suit so anyone who talks to him can see the trillions of dollars stacking up. But his decision to vote to let the, the bill go to the floor means that the debt deal could pass through the House Wednesday, even if it needs help from the many Democrats who seem likely to support it. It's not clear how many Republicans will defy McCarthy and how many Democrats the minority leader Hakeem Jeffries can bring on board to make up the difference. Democrats said that they expect Republicans to deliver the majority, at least 150 of the 218 votes needed to the passage. For the passage, House progress progressives are the over the deal. President Biden quite frankly kicked McCarthy's butt in the negotiations. They wanted much more than what they've got. The president made sure that they didn't get those things, but it's still a bad deal. New York rep Jamal Bowen, who hasn't who hasn't decided how he'll vote, told CNN's Mano Wejo on Tuesday. On yeah, on Tuesday. So this is the thing though. Both sides didn't get exactly what they wanted. So it's like, eh, so pass the bill so we can continue on this um on this trail of of neglecting the exit date and then we can come to the negotiation table after the fact and say okay we don't need this we know we don't need this we don't need this those are just the minor things anyway like these are the things that it's like we can see the iceberg coming we're on the titanic we can see the iceberg coming or we can see us heading towards the iceberg but instead of fixing the main problem which is the fact that we are heading towards an iceberg on the titanic instead of changing directions instead we're rearranging the chairs on on the titanic and we're saying no the chair needs to be here no the chair needs to be here no the chair needs to be here it's just it doesn't matter wherever the chair is we're still hitting the iceberg and then when we hit the iceberg we're going to scream at each other and say no i told you we should have put the chair there the chair's position doesn't matter we hit the iceberg this is exactly what the united states and the governors and the the senators are all arguing about because of the fact that 
We're trying to change the little things that doesn't even affect the big majority of the spending in the United States. We need to change the 70 to 80% of the spending. That needs to be cut down to actually have a big difference here. We can't be spending thousands and thousands of dollars on our personal life. And then we're like, oh, well, I won't go and get an $8 latte. No, the $8 latte doesn't matter. You're spending thousands of dollars. I mean, this is to a lesser scale, obviously, but in the United States, we're spending so much more than $1,000, $1,000 every millisecond. So just the fact that we don't even want to cut down on the major part of the spending is is just, I mean, it's not even just that we don't want to. We don't even want to come to the table as Republicans and say, this is exactly what we need to do. And on top of that, yes, of course, we didn't want to do that because of the fact that while Donald Trump was president, we never said, oh, we need to cut 60 to 70% of the debt. No, the only way that we would ever talk about cutting the debt is when the opposite person, the opposite side is in the house, in the White House. If the Republicans are in the Senate, in Congress, then we're going to complain when the when the Democrat is president. But if a Republican president, Republican Congress, pre Republican uh, state representatives, then, then we're going to say, oh no, we can just spend all we want. We can just spend, 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 spend. It doesn't even matter. We can just spend, spend, spend. The only reason why we would ever cut it is because of the fact that it would be the opposite side that's in the House. Now, let's move on to the next article, which is an MSNBC article. We have Mark Meadows is Donald Trump's worst best friend. Donald Trump's final White House chief of staff is a psychophant, but not a really, excuse me. Mark Meadows is a Donald Trump's worst best friend. Donald Trump's final White House chief of staff is a psychophant, but not a very good one, considering how much trouble he keeps bringing his ex-boss. During his four years of office, former President Donald Trump went through a parade of the White House Chiefs of Staff, but the time former North Korea, North Carolina Congress member Mark Meadows was taped for the gig. Trump has decided that he that the quality he wanted most wasn't Rents Prey Bus experience running the Republican Party or retired Marine Corps General John Kelly's adherence to protocol. He wanted someone who would say yes or to whatever he ordered. Enter Meadows, who learned in, into the role in with Zio, especially in responding to the COVID-19 pandemic and during the aftermath of the 2020 election. But his psychophrency at times clashed with his own self-serving and self-aggregating view of himself as a canny political appender. That friction has now led to the Justice Department prosecutors possess possessing some of the most damning evidence against Trump across multiple investigations. Okay, so... MSNBC, MSNBC, CNN, USA Today. When are you going to quit it? When are you going to quit it? How many times do you need to look into Donald Trump's tax returns? How many times do you need to look into Donald Trump's past life? How many times do you need to look into the guy to find absolutely nothing? You found nothing for six years. Seven years is going to be, and then eight years, and nine years, and 10 years, and 11 years. You found absolutely nothing. Give up already. Give up. You just sound like an obsessed ex trying to find any excuse that he can to say, oh no, she's the one that did it. She's the one that ruined the relationship because of, um, um, because of, uh, the, this one. This is the reason. No, it's not. It's you. You guys are the problem here. Trying to find the smallest little situations that Donald Trump did and make it into a big situation because of the fact that you guys know that there's nothing for you to prosecute. 
you, Haman. There's nothing. There's nothing that you can do to stop him from running to, uh, for, to be president. You tried it with E. Carol, which was a complete disaster because she doesn't even remember anything. She's about to die and she's losing her mind. Nobody trusts her. But of course, the courts in New York are so one-sided that they'll just believe a horseshoe if it goes into the courthouse. Now, with that being said, let's move on to the next article because I'm frankly annoyed at that. Um, er according to the Daily Wire, Arizona Supreme Court gives Carrie Lake's signature ver verification claim a shot. Arizona's Supreme Court sent part of Carrie Lake's appeal for her 2024 governor race defeat back to the trial court for review while refusing to hear the rest of the claims. The remaining piece of the legal challenge concerns how Maricopa, Maricopa County, which includes the capital of Phoenix and is Arizona's most populous county, performs signature val ver verifications for early ballots. In order from the high court late Wednesday, says the, the Superior Court and the Arizona Court of Appeals made an er enormous decision to reject the claim because of her focus on the election procedures rather than the application of those procedures in the last November's contest, as cited in Lake's claim. Lake now faces the challenge of establishing the mail-in votes were affected in sufficient numbers to alter the outcome of last November's election. Quote, I am thrilled with that the Supreme Court has agreed to give our signature verification evidence the appropriate form for the evaluation it deserves. Lakes said in a statement, the Arizona Supreme Court order signed by Ch Chief Justice Robert Barntel also called on Lakes team to file a reply to the defendant's motions for sanctions in regard to the assertion of there being the undisputed fact that 35,563 unaccounted for ballots were added to the total ballots at a third party facility. The order said that the record does not affect such claim and noted the motions of sanctions will be considered in due course. Lake, a former journalist who made election integrity a top priority of her campaign, sued after the results showed that she lost the November contest to Democrat Katie Hobbs by roughly 17,000 votes in the in the governor's race. Hobbs was sworn in as governor in early January. Lake's 2022 election complaint raised allegations of misconduct and illegal votes with issues ranging from mail-in ballots, chain of custody, and problematic ballot printers. Maricopa County officials acknowledged issues with the election, but insisted every valid vote in the contest had been counted. So how is there issues with the election? But there's no, but stand assured, every vote was counted. Why the conflict, conflicting information? This is an official statement. After Maricopa County's Superior Court Judge Peter Thompson threw out Lake's challenge, the appeal team rejected the case in February, writing that voters were able to cast their ballots. The votes were counted for correctly, and no, in that no other basis justifies setting aside the election results. Throughout Lake, throughout, Lake said that she will not give in, vowing to take her case to the high court. Two other Republican candidates, Ab Hamida and Mark Frenchen, who ran for attorney general and secretary of state, respectively, also received unfavorably rulings in their legal challenges seeking to challenge their losses. In the months since the November election, media reports have said that Lake is mulling a Senate bid, and former Donald President Donald Trump is considering her as a possible vice presidential running mate. That would be awesome. If them two would get together, that would be really good because, yeah, besides besides this, like, yes, we can say that there was some fishy things going on with the election, but do I believe this fully? I, I would say no. I don't believe that, that Jeb Bush was in the back 
shredding the ballots. No, I don't believe that. But do I think that there was some fishy shenanigans happening with the laws in some states that could alter potentially the election? Maybe. But Carrie Lake is a very, very good speaker. Putting that all aside, Carrie Lake is a very, very good speaker and she has very, very good ideas. So if Donald Trump could pick her for the vice president, this would be an impressive, oh my God, this would be great. I think I might go to the other side to leaning towards Trump just a little bit, just a tad. But you know, if DeSantis actually has a really good vice president, then maybe. But you know, the vice president doesn't really matter because the vice president does not make the rules. It's just a fact. But let's move on to the next article. We actually have a Breitbart article. We have United Kingdom government conspired with social media AI firms to monitor and censor lockdown critics, report says. The United Kingdom government worked with social media and AI firms to surveil and censor critics of coronavirus lockdowns, a report has claimed. Officials within the United Kingdom's government reportedly worked hand-in-hand with social media companies such as Google, Facebook, and Twitter, as well as AI firms to monitor critics of the lockdown regime, as well as to identify and ultimately censor speech criticizing the Derenikian government policy. Published by The Telegraph, the claims bear many similarities to the so-called Twitter files, which revealed how United States authorities worked hand-in-hand with social media firms to censor criticism of government COVID-19 policy. According to the newspaper's report, the United Kingdom's government employed the so-called counter-disinformation unit the DCU, a Whitehall team originally set up to counter alleged disinfo during the 2019 European elections to monitor social media posts challenging government lockdowns policy with aim of censoring the content. To aim this, to achieve this aim, the organization reportedly worked cl- closely with social media co- co- corporations as well as firms specializing in the use of artificial intelligence, the latter of which used the advanced technology to secure to sour the net of messaging critical for government narratives on COVID-19. One private firm that took part in the state surveillance operation was Yorkshire-based logically, with the firm flagging numerous posts made by, according to the Telegraph, respected scientists questioning lockdown or arguing against the mass vaccination of children against COVID-19. Many posts critical of government lockdown rules were said to have eventually been brought to the attention of the social media firms by the CDU, which was given the status of the so-called trusted flagger, allowing them to fast-track censorship requests. Although none of the social media companies involved were legally required to take the content down just by virtue of it being flagged, the Telegraph specializes that the firms may have been pressured to do so due to the fact that the requests were coming in from the government. The DCU also reportedly monitored the activities of certain high-profile lockdown skeptics, including the likes of Oxford academic professor Carl Hennigan, who questioned the government methodology for tracking COVID-19 deaths. The documents obtained via the Freedom of Information Act by the Telegraph were reportedly heavily censored, while entire pages were blacked out, making it difficult to assign the entire scope of what was being discussed between the invited groups. Secretive meetings were being held by government officials with social media bosses and members of the BBC, with the topic reportedly being how best to stop the spread of the so-called misinformation and disinformation regarding the pandemic. Speaking on the meetings, however, a spokesperson for the BBC has insisted that the publicly funded broadcaster attend in in an observer-only 
only capacity in what appears to be an attempt to distance the service from the censorship scandal. This is not the first time the United Kingdom's government has been accused of spying on lockdown critics, with previous reports in this indicating that the state deployed anti-terrorism unions to censor anti-lockdown content. Siki Corolo of the Big Brother Watch campaign group was ironically surveilled by the disinformation system said that the quote very concept of the wrong information dictated by a central authority to open is open to abuse and should be considered far more critically least we mirror Chinese style censorship and I completely agree these people should have the right to speak in the public square in Twitter Instagram these places are the public square arguably in the 21st century like I say every single episode moving to the next article we actually have a daily wire article we have website revealing over 10,000 photos from hunter biden's laptop crashes shortly after the initial launch a new website unveiling over 10,000 pictures from the infamous hunter biden laptop which aims to bring the truth and transparency to america's first family crashed shortly after launching on thursday garrett ziegler the founder of the nonprofit marco polo told fox news that it took engineers on site bidenlaptopmedia.com a couple of months to react obscene content from thousands of photos spanning from 2008 to 2019, including images exposing Hunter's genitals and multiple nude photos of the deceased brother Burrow Biden's wife, Haley Biden. Quote, the number one thing we're about is truth and transparency. Degler said, if the American people want to know what their first family is like, they're going to get it. And we're not going to be taking photos out that paint Biden's the Biden's in good light. However, claims claim reports claim that the website servers continue to crash by Thursday afternoon after thousands of people witnessed the photos. That's disgusting. Why would you look it up? I'm not looking that up. That's disgusting. Fox News claims Zagler provided two never-before-seen images from the laptop, showing an away array of drugs and condom wrappers sitting on the table from a text message conversation Hunter, Biden, Hunter had with Haley Biden and the president's son with the, his then-lover Zoe, Zoe Keston in 2018. Other material reacted in the photos included private information such as social security numbers, banking information, and credit card numbers. Zegler said that the photo project would display images chronically and cover the large swash of the first family's life while claiming the website showcasing the Biden family is a hit job. Quote, we're not Republican activists. None of us are registered Republicans, he said. In fact, I loved and still love Trump precisely because he wasn't a standard Republican. So this is not a hit job. We're going to keep all the photos that paint Biden's in good light and keep the photo all the photos that paint Biden's in bad light. The American people can judge for themselves what they think about their first family through this, Dagler said. Marco Polo's official Twitter account said that it was that in an update on Thursday afternoon, the nonprofit currently has seven servers running on the website, which the company said drew massive amount of attention the organization anticipated. In the first hour, we served over half a million hits smoothly, and then attacks began. We haven't let up all day. The nonprofit tweeted, We have no intention of going anywhere as the site like BidenLaptopEmails.com is a historic web record of the Biden laptop and it will be kept up and running until the end of time. Zeigler's nonprofit also hosts BidenLaptopEmails.com website, which publicizes over 120,000 emails from the abandoned laptop. And I applaud these people for doing so because the people deserve to see these things. The continued laptop exposure comes after Biden faces ongoing investigations from federal prosecutors and lawmakers into foreign business dealings and allegations of lying in tax fraud and gun purchases. I completely agree with this too because of the fact that Hunter Biden is actively going against his father and the DOJ 
because of the fact that the DOJ want to prosecute American people for having a gun when they're on drugs. But Hunter Biden did this very thing. But nobody's going to talk about that because it's Hunter Biden. We already expected that he was going to do this. Now, moving into the next article, we actually have a Federalist article. We have Democrats' victory lap over McCarthy's debt ceiling surrender tells you all that you need to know about the compromise, the quote-unquote compromise. Democrats are taking a victory lap after the Republican-controlled House of Representatives passed a poorly negotiated bill on Wednesday, raising the United States debt ceiling into the early 2025. Negotiated behind closed doors by House Speaker Kevin McCarthy, Republican from California, in the Biden administration, the wrongly named Physical Responsibility Act would permit the federal government to take an unlimited debt through January 1st, 2025, according to the Daily Caller. Wednesday's final House vote was 314 to 117, with more Democrats supporting the measure, 165 then Republicans, 149 members of the House Freedom Caucus were among those to overwhelmingly oppose the bill. Republicans who oppose the measure, such as Texas Rep. Chip Roy, has estimated the bill to allow the federal government to take on roughly $4 trillion in debt by the January 2025 deadline. Meanwhile, the debt, the Limit Save Grow Act, which was passed by the House Republicans in April, sought to raise the debt ceiling by an estimated of $1.5 trillion through March 2024. The small cuts to federal spending in the Physical Responsibility Act included clawback of $28 billion in unspent COVID funds and a $1.4 billion reduction in the IRS $80 billion funding provided by Democrats' dishonestly named Inflation Reduction Act. While not purposely proportionately agreed to a deal that would repurpose a $20 billion in IRS funding over the next two years. Notably, the debt ceiling bill does not include any provisions related to the United States border. While McCarthy has been marketing the legislation as the greatest thing since sliced bread, Democrats' reaction to it shows the measure isn't the win McCarthy and the House GOP leadership are making it out to be. Before the bill even passed, left-wing propaganda outlets like the Daily Beast were running articles cautioning Democrats to restrain themselves from gloating about the debt limit deal, at least not until it actually passes. Don't gloat. Don't brand the compromise legislation as a win. Don't brag about the spending cuts, the policy changes Republicans failed to squeeze in. Beast writers Ursula Bergno and Sam Bodley advertised with bated breath. Barrett Wamaswiti, who serves as Biden's economic advisor, who also championed the bipartisan deal during a recent CNN interview, saying the proposed bill helps preserve an incredibly strong set of progressive accomplishments over the last two and a half years. Meanwhile, Rep. Brad Sherman, Democrat from California, perfectly summarized how Democrats feel about the measure, reportedly remarking about after his its passage Wednesday. Now we're allowed to say it. We rolled them. So the thing is that, yes, I can see where, where the Federalist is coming from, but I can also see where Democrats are coming from because of the fact that, yes, nobody really got what they wanted. We didn't get the, the debt limit lowered, but they also didn't get the debt limit hired that astronomically much because of the fact that we still have mandatory spending we need to do. If we get rid of the mandatory spending, we get rid of the IRS, we get rid of the FBI, then we're going to have so much money left over that we're going to not have to pay so much taxes out of our personal taxes, out of our income taxes, out of our sales taxes. It's going to be just a win-win for all of us. Now, moving on to the next article, we actually have another Federalist article. We have the campaign to destroy Scottus is getting increasingly stupid. The dishonest grinned up campaign to smear originalists on the Supreme Court has always been predicted on half-truths in, in, in Rodeau, but Slate's Mark Joseph Stern is now accusing Samuel Alter, Alterio 
of violating completely imaginatory SCOTUS rule, ethic rules in a case involving Phillips 6-6. According to Stern, even while originalist justices properly disclose all of their investments and then recuse themselves, they're still corrupt. Why? The justice did not explain this, his reason for registering one of the Roberts' pr promised practices. To obtain the, that information, you must dig through his financial disclosures, which reveal that he holds up to $50,000 in stock in Phillips 66. One of the parties, Alto, is one of the two sitting justices who still holds individual stocks, as opposed to, con to conflict-free ass assets like mutual funds. First off, an explanation for a recusal is not, in fact, one of Robert's promised practices. The statement on ethics, principles, and practices mainly states that in many instances, the grounds of recusal will be obvious, but that justices may provide a summary of explanation of a recusal decision or may provide an extended explanation for any decision to recuse or not to recuse. There is no rule. The above italics are mine because the word may, meaning to express the possibility, has a different definition than the words, than the words like quote will or quote must, which denote an an obligation or a duty. So, for example, one may refer to a person who clinically deglomates constitutional governance for the sake of power as an irredeemable authoritarian hack miscurating as a journalist, masquerading, masquerading as a journalist. But one is not required to do so. The word may does not appear in a document drafted by the Supreme Court justices by accident. As Roberts explains in a letter cited by Slate, compelling an explanation for every refusal might encourage strategic behaviors by lawyers who may seek to prompt recusal in future cases. Indeed, Stern's attack attack indeed Stern's attack rests on the rickety notion that Alto is trying to conceal something from the public. When he claims you must dig though through Alto's financial disclosures, what he really means is opening the Fix the Court website or just following the press release that likely gave him the idea for the piece in the first place. And looking at the justice justice's publicly available disclosure, in this case to dig means generous generously speaking five minutes of time. And since this isn't the first instance that Alto has recused himself in the case involving Phillips, the grounds for a recusal are obvious. That doesn't stop Stern from framing the, the lack of explanation as some kind of major ethical lapse. To do so, he juxtatapes Alto's recusal with Elena Kegnan's recent explanation of recusal in Holland v. Florida without any relevant context. In Holland v. Florida, Kennegan might have become the first justice to offer an official explanation for a refusal in history, a recusal in history. Good for her. Alto conducted himself with the same manner that hundreds of justices have conducted themselves in thousands of other recusal cases. Since Roberts sent his critic's statement to Congress, there had been 11 recusals in the Supreme Court without any corresponding explanation, not something Alto accusers deem worthy of mentioning. Instead, Stern claims that the K Kagan was never the problem. She's even turned down free bagels from her high school friends. She's so virtuous. Her explanation for recusal was simply prior government employment, which explains Stern is a, quote, shorter way of saying that she participated in the proceedings while serving as a solicitor gender general. Kagan should have eaten those bagels and refused herself from NFIB v. Seberis in King v. Barrowell. 
cases revolving around the national reform law and mandate for which her office had mounted an early and aggressive effort to prepare for legal challenges to an individual insurance mandate. According to The Hill, that was more than enough for her to sit through those cases. But since the Obama administration refused to turn over all emails related to the case, we can also strongly suspect Kagan had personally lent her exper ex experience in anticipation of legal challenges. As usual, it's all just Kevin Ball. For instance, while Alto's refusal over a disclosed stock is a big ethical problem, Sonia Sonomayor, while failing to recuse herself from multiple cases involving a publisher who paid over $3 million while she was in court, she was on the court, is just fine. For the record, justices shouldn't be compelled to automatically bow out of the cases involving companies or industries they've dealt with unless there is some genuine and clear conflict of interest. None of these attacks have ever produced a single case in which an originalist suggests a justice have stayed from their beliefs to help a company or a person or an industry, much less themselves. Then again, the ugly irony of the Democrat attacks is just their anger is fueled by the principled judicial philosophy of certain justices. And I completely agree with this because the media is going to pick and choose which justices they want to attack on that single day. And then they're just going to completely neglect all of the rest of the justices as if they don't even matter because they do actually matter because all the justices have a very important role in society. But last but not least, I actually have a surprise for all of you guys. So we're actually going to be reacting to a new trailer that's on HBO Max and it's very, it, it takes a weird turn, but some of you guys have already seen it. If you did not already see it, then I would like to react to this with you today. It's called The Curious Case of Natia, Natia Grace. So this was actually posted one month ago and it has 448,000 views on YouTube. It's called The Investigation Discovery. So without further ado, let's react to it now. You're gonna get the truth. I will pre-warn you, you might not like the truth. We were in a very tight-knit family. April 26th, 2010, that's the day that we adopted Natalia. We had no idea what we were dealing with. She's not six. She was an adult, you could just tell. I'm like, whoa. Natalia was told her new birthday at the orphanage in Ukraine. She threatened to stab my sons. I definitely didn't feel safe around Natalia. You've adopted a kid and now they're trying to kill you. I mean, it's the stuff of a horror movie. She tried to poison and kill my wife. One night, I opened my eyes and Natalia is standing at the foot of the bed with a knife in her hand. I don't even know what I would do. If I was in that situation, I don't even... Like you wake up and there's a knife. It's I don't even know if I would ever be able to go to sleep again. I'm being completely honest. I would never be able to sleep again. If this ever happened to me, this is completely crazy. Oh my God, I can't believe this would actually happen to anybody. She's tiny. These stories don't make sense. No. You just don't know, Drew Barnett's. The prosecutors went to Ukraine. <laughs> to track down Natalia's biological mother. I'm charged with two counts of child neglect, is that correct? Maybe there's more than one villain in this story. Ooh. Michael accuses Christine of beating Natalia. My mom is definitely not 100% innocent. Bye-bye. You lied because she told you the lie. Yes. It's like a Ruby's Cube. Just when you think you have it solved, you find out you don't. We were all abused! I hate this. 
Did you want to hurt them? It's all gonna come to light. It'd be very good if you just quit talking. We're in deep, deep trouble. Well, kicking down the stairs, we said we're not going to say, right? Oh, I stole my microphone on. You got a seatbelt? Buckle up. Yeah, I don't even know. If I was in... There's just too many turns. There's just too many things going on with this trailer. I guess we're just going to have to find out. So what I'm going to be doing is I'm going to be watching this series and reacting to it for you guys. So I'll, I'll come right back to you guys when I'm done watching a couple episodes. So I'll watch an episode, report on that episode, watch the next episode and react to that episode. So because of the fact that I can't actually watch the whole episode and react to it for you guys live here, I'll just have to summarize this week's episode because it's going to be coming out week after week because this is a crazy, crazy time that we live in. Also coming up soon, we actually have Dimitri's book club, which is going to be coming out, I would say, mid-June. So coming up in a few weeks from now, we have Dimitri's book club. I'm really excited about the Dimitri's book club, and we also have one more show coming soon, but I will talk to you guys about that next show when it comes out. Thank you all for watching, and I hope they have a great rest of your day. If you did like the show and you do want to see more episodes, please subscribe and turn post notifications on. So you know when I post a new episode. I do post new episodes of the show every single Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Thank you all for watching, and I hope they have a great rest of your day. Bye.